Welcome to uh, Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Violet Barron, here in the studio with uh, Max Carter and Emily Scott. Uh, how's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Yeah, doing well. Good. Getting, getting out of the rain into the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, out of that uh, springy rain into the uh, little sticky studio. <laughs> uh, very good. Um, so this week we talk federal blocks uh, to... Um, Trump's health care agenda, a new law on sexual abuse from Vatican City, a sort of ban on plastic bags in New York, and an overhaul of the specialized high school SAT, and much more. And we've got uh, OG uh, OTR host, uh, Rachel Cleary, on the phone. Hey, Rachel. Okay. Hey, okay. So I got patched through. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's great to have you back in the studio with us. Uh, nice to have you Thank here. Thank you. Glad to hear everybody's voices. Yeah. Um, Rachel has been here since the start with us, and she helped us uh, find our footing when we were first getting on the air. So, um, so how's everyone doing today? Decent. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah. doing well. I, I have a new job, so... Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. That's, I'm not hungover. That's, that's a good, good thing as well. That's a positive for a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I've... No yeah. longer in Brooklyn, so it's a little bit of a trek for me, so I'm just calling in today. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, how'd your move go, Rachel? Um, it, it, it went pretty well. I mean, it was a move, so it was hectic. It was kind of crazy. It, we didn't know we were going to have to move, so oh, it was yeah. like it came together really fast, and we had no idea we'd be moving to where we were moving to, but um, we were like it, so we're, we're happy here. Yeah. You're Manhattanites now, right? Yeah, yeah, again. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> a culture adjustment, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we're we're up far up north enough, it's kind of like where New York went. Lots of mom-and-pop shops, mm-hmm. small restaurants, things like that. Nice. Well, uh, let's get right into it with the national news. Uh, this week, federal judges blocked two attempts by the Trump administration to reverse and challenge Obamacare protections. Uh, Association health plans was one, which would allow businesses to sort of cooperatively avoid the ACA requirements. Uh, And the other was additional work requirements for Medicaid recipients in order for them to qualify. Uh, This was regarded as a blow to Trump's health care agenda, which has been a main part of his platform uh, since his campaign. Um, So uh, some questions about that. Republican attempts to repeal and replace Obamacare have largely been unsuccessful in the whole, and the administration's attempts to break it down are meeting with challenges. Uh, why do we think that is? What, you know, we've heard such a strong uh, discourse on that from the Republican side. Why hasn't it worked so far? I mean, I think in a, on a broad, in a broad sense, it means that um, the checks and balances system is working pretty okay, like, you know, tentatively, like white knuckled, but like, um, and that, you know, the process of implementing the ACA Obamacare was a very intensive, you know, know, multi-branch process and that, you know, the executive branch can't just go in and say like, well, we're going to get rid of this, Um, you know, snap their fingers. Right. And let that happen. The Justice Department is there saying, well, you're not doing it the right way, essentially. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing to to pay attention to is the the future that we're moving towards with 2020 approaching. I'm sort of surprised that Trump, the Trump administration and his campaign have been shifting the conversation towards repealing Obamacare um, after like all of the Republican efforts have been such failures to impact the, the law um, in any way in, in terms of repeal. Um, it seems like the conversation at this point has moved beyond whether or not to uh, in, implement or repeal Obamacare, but whether or not we want universal health care. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's strange to me that the Trump administration is trying to take this approach of uh, taking away this health care that I think even Republican voters have realized really works for them. Right. Um, I know that there was a lot of conversation where, you know, uh, Republican base supporters would say, you know, repeal Obamacare. And then, you know, when when it came out that it's the same thing as ACA mm-hmm. and they were benefiting from the right. program, the conversation shifted dramatically. So I, I'm interested to see how that conversation will continue um, as we get closer to the election. Right. I, I think part of why um, attempts to repeal, repeal and replace it have failed is part of the checks and balances. And part of it is also people really were up in arms when it was seriously threatened and they, they protested. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure right. everyone remembers, you know, two years ago, people just were pounding on literally showing up at their representatives offices and pounding on the doors. They took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you have to respond to that. Um, we saw it, uh, it, it when, when we've, you know, the Democrats flipped the house last year. I mean, that was part of it was people, it, it had to do with um, voters really kind of saying, no, we're, we're not going to let this happen too. It should in the way that they voted. It should it just protest and really speaking out and trying to hold their representatives accountable. Part of what I'm finding interesting here in this, in the language or the rhetoric, rather, mm-hmm. um, some of what I'm, I'm seeing, what I'm hearing are things like, um, you know, work requirements for Medicaid recipients, um, um, let business, you know, giving um, room for businesses to flourish under this, you know, this, these are the kind of like, phrases and, and rhetoric. Um, I, I think he's trying to, again, you know, appeal to, to a certain base mm-hmm. or a certain, um, you know, people's thinking, like, for, for example, this idea that people who receive Medicaid don't work. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that That's not necessarily true. You receive, one qualifies for Medicaid if you, you know, depending on your household size and household income, therefore there's income in your house, possibly. <laughs> right. You know, he's, He's kind of, um, we're, we're using rhetoric that um, I've been, you know, we've been, it's been around a long time, you know, make it friendly for small businesses. Oh, the, these people receiving entitlements are just because they're lazy. We're, we're kind of feeding this rhetoric and this kind of ignorance about um, who benefits from what. I, and when I see this kind of language, I got to wonder if he, he's, we're just, we're, play, we're playing to a certain audience with all of a sudden talking, you know, talking about the ACA again. I mean, part of it might just be like, hey, um, the wall's not really happening. Mm-hmm. I got to do something here. Mm-hmm. It, it, the language is reminiscent of the sort of thing. It, it, he's speaking to a certain, I think he's speaking to his base with it. Right. right. And then on the flip side, uh, you know, I think a lot of people on the progressive side would say Obamacare is sort of indisputably an improvement over um, just lack of coverage across the board. But, uh, you know, some of us who are uh, making, you know, middle of the road income, um, 
uh, have experienced, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe you don't qualify for the kind of subsidies that would make uh, healthcare affordable, um, and maybe you want to buy in, but that's still hundreds of dollars a month out of your paycheck that you can't necessarily afford. Um, and that, you know, that exists to various degrees uh, for various income levels. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, you know, maybe we won't see a total repeal, uh, but are we going to see sort of patches and improvements, real real improvements? I think that depends on, um, you know, if people like if if the Republicans are finally like, OK, well, maybe we can edit like if, if people start actually sitting down and like looking and how to like um because i think I, I think from the beginning like you know the aca was never like a perfect right. solution like we you know people who want universal health care aren't really happy with it and um like you know i, I believe everyone has right to health care as well just for the record but um <laughs> but i think that there's like um if if the 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 idea of trying to get rid of it if like people stopped if if they could stop putting all their energy on just like getting rid of it, getting like because of the rhetoric against Obamacare and because of appealing to a certain base, then maybe some real actual effective um, edits can happen and, you know, talking points can start to happen. But I feel like as long as, um, you know, people with power are like, let's just get rid of the whole thing. Like it's going to be hard to actually make effective um, changes to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the other thing to, I, I think to, um, to our co-host's point, there was uh, really an invocation of this sort of welfare queen rhetoric, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see how the various uh, segments of society are being pitted against one another um, in order to offset costs that are not really incurred by the people who are being blamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. interesting. I, Sorry, Rachel. When we let the yeah, when we let the free market in, that's kind of what drove the premiums. Exactly. That, up. That, that that that's kind of and um, not to kind of go too far back, you know, in time and rehash old things, but that was kind of, that was something that you know the Democrats kind of gave to the Republicans, in, you know, in trying to get this legislation passed. Like, okay, we'll we'll let you have the free market element. Like, if we help us get this passed here, so that that's kind of what drives a lot of the premiums up. Exactly. Um, I, I you can't if this is such an intricate. Mm-hmm. piece of legislation and it's i don't think people understand just how woven it is into our economy right now because um it really kind of with certain guarantees to towards healthcare like just for some people just being allowed the one physical a year without a copay you know things like that that gets keeps people healthy and well enough to work and therefore like pay taxes and and you know buy things and you know mm-hmm. feed into the economy you you just pull legislation like this i think the economy could go into a total tailspin mm-hmm. I, I clearly it needs improvement if people are you know this like you know it, i mean i think it needs improvement simply because of what violet pointed out there are so many people who really can't the, the premiums are such that it, it it costs too much for a lot of middle class folks to afford it um Obviously, a lot of people are frustrated with it for other reasons. It needs improvement, but I think you may need to do it. It needs to be a gradual 
and it doesn't have to be a slow 20-year shift, but a gradually in phases shift towards something a little bit more well-rounded, maybe something national, because I think part one thing to point out here is also, you know, different states implemented this in different ways. And New York, for example, has a health exchange, which is really bureaucratic and bogged down and takes forever to get through to somebody. But there's a system in place. Other, there are other states that never really put anything in place. So things work a little more efficiently in one state than another. You know, this... You know, think you can't just like pull the legislation. You got to like kind of transition it into something other if you're going to change it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, one might say that if you can't afford or if you don't want to pay for uh, Obamacare, you don't have to because the inv- individual mandate has sort of been effectively eliminated in um, most of the country. Uh, but on the flip side, that might have been a real. Um, funding force for it so that might have made it yeah work. yeah it was right. mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah. I think personally i feel it's common sense have insurance like right. you should why wouldn't i want insurance you know what i mean um it, it, so it's like it seems like i have even if i bought the cheapest thing and it wasn't really good i have it there if you know heaven forbid i get hit by a truck mm-hmm. right. um you know it's and and i avoid a penalty on my taxes but yeah that's you're, when you do things like that you're taking like i said you, when you take away one little bit of the legislation it kind of sent it it can it sends this rippling effect because it's it's just it's like a spider web it's just so interwoven one thing affects over here affects the other thing over here just the way the the way it's all funded right mm-hmm. for sure uh and another uh piece of uh, progressive le- legislation this week. Um, as promised by Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Senate voted on Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal uh, and struck it down resoundingly. All Republicans voted against it. Four Democrats joined them in voting against it. And 43 Democrats voted present. Uh, so uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, claimed this was a stunt vote. Uh, and despite all this, she actually said she was encouraged by the unity she saw in the vote. Um, yeah, that's a classic uh, political spin, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? But um, why? So I'm curious, uh, Stanford or no, why would McConnell put this to a vote now? Like, why is now the time to like do this demonstrative uh, vote on this legislation? Hmm. I mean, I think that uh, a major point for McConnell was considering, again, the 2020. 20 elections. Mm-hmm. I think that his intention is to divide the Democratic Party along uh, increasingly, you know, controversial lines. Um, the Green New Deal it was the perfect opportunity for him to try and push people into various camps and corners. Mm-hmm. I think that all of the Democratic presidential uh, potentials are supporting the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. but none of them uh, decided to vote for it in in yeah. this yeah, vote. That's so right. it, it's right. a it's it's gonna be interesting. Um, I, I guess you know McConnell's efforts sort of failed in in the sense that the Democrats were able to exercise s- some semblance of unity even mm-hmm. by just mm-hmm. uh, voting present. Right. Um, so in in that sense, I think, Ocasio-Cortez is right to say that, you know, at least they didn't succumb to the efforts of Republicans to divide the party um, in preparation for the 2020 election. Um, But I also think that uh, the other major um, positive effect of the vote was uh, just to start a conversation. I mean, the fact that we are um, focusing so much on um, 
climate change and the environmental justice movement in the country feels somewhat new, surprisingly. I mean, it's always there's always been a conversation around natural disasters and the increasing damage that we're seeing from those, but for the conversation to change to policy initiatives on how to really tackle that, I feel like this is the first time we're seeing that in a while. For climate change, at least specifically, um, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, Clean Air, Clean Water Acts, like that was, but it was was more localized and now thinking like larger scale, for sure, the first time we're seeing that, like I'm almost international, like trying to combat this thing that feels impossible. Right. Right, and, yeah. and we were trying to tackle the issue of jobs and the climate mm-hmm. at the same time with this. Uh, do you guys think, okay, maybe I'm, I seem a little far out there, but do, do we think this, especially with the, with the left, with the Democrats, I should say, voting against this, do we think this is like an attempt to not seem too lefty, if you will? Because mm. <laughs> we kind of have, like, with, with we, we have this really thick primary right now, right? Do we, and you have the progressives, and then you have, like, more centrist candidates. Are we trying to seem... Because she's kind of she, Ocasio Cortez has become uh, some of the face of the progressive, um, you know, uh, uh, wing of the Democratic Party. Are we trying to seem a little bit more reined in? Is is this like I don't know? Was, was this kind of like the Democrats are trying to seem a little bit more middle of the road as we approach the election? Uh, is this? Is, I'm. I gotta wonder if that. What do, do you guys have thoughts on that? <laughs> I think it's possible. I think yeah. I think that this was this is like the if if an ideal world like you know and for for you know people who are like climate change is like their biggest thing that they're thinking about. This is an ideal piece of legislation, which does not make it a practical thing for the real world. And I think that uh-huh. I think that that's like you know that's where a starting point. This is what we think. This is what we think will maybe solve climate change. I don't know. Like when they implement all these you know, or writing down these bits and pieces. And then over time there's a push and pull on practicality and implementation right. and things like that. And I think, I think that, um, yeah. And I, I mean, of course it's non-binding. It wasn't like they were voting on a new law that this is going to sweep the land right away. But yeah, I think, I think it's possible that it's them saying, well, we know this isn't practical as it stands, which is, I guess is, you know, you can say that that's a way of saying like, you know, not being as far left as radical, quote unquote radical. I'm doing quotations that no one right. can see. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. they want to not seem too lefty, even though it's like, it seems like a fair enough thing. Like, hey, jobs in, in, the, in mm. the ecology. Why not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, right. I think they definitely are making an attempt not to open themselves up to any potential attack, at least. Uh, I think that um, you know, as you said, jobs and the environment are not necessarily controversial in themselves. If you just say we want more jobs and a clean environment, those are not controversial things. But when when you're proposing huge, uh, you know, almost revolutionary mm-hmm. institutional changes um, that compare to the New Deal, I think that's it opens yourself up to larger attacks uh, that would go beyond even what you're comfortable with supporting. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, I think the Democrats are definitely trying to protect themselves from anything like that, given that, as you're saying, it's such a large pool of sitting like uh, government folks right. who are running. So they are all, you know, dealing with these controversial legislation pieces while also gearing up and trying to like create a public face and, yeah. 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 Well said for sure. Um, yeah. You know, I, um, I agree that like, uh, you know, Democrats can't really 
necessarily put their full weight behind the, this deal or and this formation, <laughs> right? Or or choose not to. But uh, it's interesting to me that they would uh, that this would go to vote. You know, McConnell likely had a political, um, you know, uh, a political agenda behind putting it to vote right now. But that this is drafted and that. Uh, politicians are seriously considering it, you know, as as policy is interesting to me. So mm-hmm. I'm um, I'm expecting to see ver- versions and variations of it uh, as we go forward. Um, and uh, so last uh, point, the Department of Housing and Urban Development this week has sued Facebook for violating the Fair Housing Act. Uh, by allegedly allowing housing advertisers to block their ads from appearing for users who selected interests like hijab, fashion, and Hispanic culture, according to Democracy Now. Um, so you know, this was a this is a small small uh, bit of news this week, but it was sort of interesting to me because it seems to signal a new way that we're seeing uh, discrimination uh, and exclusionary practices in something like housing. Um, it's not something I would have thought about, you know, like uh, Facebook has all of these third party advertisers and it uh, it it may not monitor them necessarily very closely, but it allows them to uh, sort of check certain boxes for users that it shows things to. Um, and we all know, like if you if you like certain things, if you follow certain things, you'll see certain ads. But this is sort of a dark side of that. Uh, if you like certain things, you might not see housing. And you might not, especially in a market like ours in New York, you know, if you don't click right away, you might miss out on that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. what, what do we think of this? Uh, is this sort of a new form of discrimination? Is this truly new? In the sense of it being like brought down to a data science. Right. It's really interesting. Um because it's like it's like just a checkbox as opposed to like I don't know census data or, or have not. Um, I think it's interesting. I think so. I I went through the whole like licensed real estate process um, uh, a few years ago. So yeah. So I'm like I'm well acquainted with that law, and because they do the the educate in New York, they do a lot of education about that because it's really it is considered to be very serious by like from real estate law perspective, and it's and it it's it's really subtle too the way that those laws work. Like if you have an ad um, that shows people only people of a certain color for a housing unit. What, what and that could be brought up to as a legal case. Oh, just like, like visually in the ad. Visually in the ad, where they advertise, like you know, in a Christian newspaper um, versus not like normal. Like it, 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 they those laws do really hone in on the the detail of who you may or may not be marketing to, and like you know, saying family friendly is not okay because that's part of the discrimination like discrimination also um is based on age and how many children you have and things like that so those laws are are made to deal with things like this but it is interesting like the data world meeting up with like the legal world right becomes really interesting yeah i mean i think it's it's a classic case of redlining i mean Mm -hmm. you're just seeing it in a new frontier where the laws are not as uh, the Wild West. Right. It's sort of the Wild West of, right. of the legal <laughs> yeah. uh, landscape. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a total classic example of redlining. Do you community. want to define redlining real quick for us? Yeah. Redlining is a historic practice where um, communities that are marginalized, generally it was 
historically black folks who were moving into urban centers out of the South a lot of the times were uh, prevented from um, or run out of certain neighborhoods um, that were trying to maintain a certain racial you know, integrity, if you will, you know, uh, neighborhood realtors would refuse to show, um, potential buyers who were, um, black houses or, um, would try to like price them at a much higher rate. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were many different, uh, forms of, um, discrimination that people would employ to prevent black people, um, and generally people of color these days, uh, from entering neighborhoods, um, the, the the rhetoric is the same these days. I mean, the fact that they would hone in on uh, hijab fashion is mm-hmm. pretty right. telling as far as who they're trying to keep out. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I mean, to me, it's a bit shocking. I shouldn't be surprised, you know, right. but uh, it's a bit shocking that um, that we have advertisers who are using Facebook and who are savvy enough to be using these social media sites to um, find potential renters. And they're going to uh, consciously, you know, avoid certain demographics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, did you have uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, I just, um, I, you know, I'm someone who like, you know, I, I have managed Facebook pages and, you know, Facebook will say sometimes like prompt you like who, um, do you want to sort of push advertising to? And maybe like this wouldn't be me, but like maybe you have a women's clothing boutique. So you might, it might make sense. Women, you know, I'd like more women than men to see my, you know, my, my page, mm-hmm. like my, if you, if you're paying for a page promotion, things like that. And it just, it looks, and you know, there, it's, this is like sort of where the algorithm needs to get monitored. You know, someone needs to be monitoring and saying, okay, wait, I have a real estate business here that is saying, you know, we or we, we shouldn't make this available. If someone says, look, I have a real estate business, they shouldn't be allowed these options to click, like don't show to, mm-hmm. or don't, you know what I mean? Um, it, things like that. They, clearly, you can't, you can't just remi- rely on the algorithm or on automation. We need like more, you need people looking at this and over and taking a look at it and going, okay, wait, this isn't, this is not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what's, ha- it's kind of like, it, it's, it's almost a little sad, like, you know, just, the, the discrimination pops up even when we automate. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it needs more oversight is what it is. Well, it, you know, it you brings up, you a, can't rely on people to not exploit the, the automation for right. their own, you know, purposes, which could be to discriminate via, you know, housing. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you're, I, I thought, <laughs> I thought where you were going with that was if you, even if you say you want uh, your clothing store to go mostly to women that, Brings up, oh, like, you, it'll still go to men, but, but but like you might, you know, Facebook might say um, if you pay for an ad, might um, through its algorithm say, okay, here's we're going to push it mostly in um, on the feeds of people who identify themselves on Facebook as right, female. Right. So that's kind of how it'll like they'll kind of sort it that way. Right. Um, or, or people who have liked interests. other things that are you know similar. Right. Or like fashion is an interest, right. you know, mm-hmm. or like live in the town that your business is located in, things like that. Um, and it's sort of, it's weird um, that you can kind of do, well, I, I guess it's not weird that you can kind of do the opposite and saying like, no, I wouldn't want to advertise to this group's interest or, but if someone needs to be like, like an actual human being needs to be looking at, you know, who the user, what the users are doing and how they're using these features to make sure that the, these, you know, these 
discrimination doesn't happen. And I, I think, you know, this might be another instance of Facebook kind of being running as an automated thing and there not being enough oversight. Right. I mean, there is a really interesting conversation going on these days about uh, Facebook and other platforms ability and process to uh, manage their content. I mean, yeah, I think this is part of that whole, yeah, yeah, it's part of that conversation. there. Yeah. And it is a huge industry that I think, you know, I've seen some of the regulatory documents that they give to content regulators who are actually like out outsourced labor that, basically sit in front of a computer and just say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no to content. And they've created all of these like massive guideline books uh, as far as to like how they um, monitor the content and decide what is okay and not okay. And the the politics are just an absolute mess. And I think, you know, as as much as I love to say, you know, Facebook needs to get its shit together, Mm -hmm. it really is uh, like, you know, such a complicated issue and I I'm rooting for them all the time in an impossible situation. You know, it's one of those things where uh, they have to get it done and they, they there's just no way that they'll be able to right. handle the, the dynamic yeah. changes well, that are happening. Something like so this, at least, you know, you, you, they're like, um, was mentioned earlier, you know, real estate professionals, I assume could be hired to tackle this issue, um, yeah. state to state, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> right. Just about the vastness of it all. It's huge. (laughs) So uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Next up is a new law for Vatican City and hundreds of thousands filling the streets in Algeria. Uh, Meanwhile, we've got uh, Alison Hins. Stay tuned.
Uh, welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Free Brooklyn. That was uh, Allison Hintz with uh, Makalele, which was a uh, carnival anthem a few years back. Uh, just get us dancing in the middle of this uh, late March day. Um, uh, so um, we're going to uh, go into some uh, Vatican news. Uh, Pope Francis issued a new law for Vatican City officials this week which requires that church authorities immediately report any credible allegations of sexual abuse to the police. It also requires that people convicted of abuse be given, given quote, adequate support for psychological and spiritual rehabilitation. Uh, it does not seem to require convicted abusers mm. to be removed from the ministry, however. Um, so, you know, like, this, this was pretty big in terms of Vatican news. Uh, this was a, you know, another... A big and um, progressive move by Pope Francis uh, in a place that doesn't have a lot of, like, really sweeping changes that address uh, sexual abuse in the church. Um, And uh, it's interesting to me, uh, as a first thought, that the law that requires authorities to report credible allegations of sexual abuse. Uh, And I'm wondering, um, how how are they going to, how are they likely to define credible Mm-hmm. And is this like is this an easy way for church authorities to sort of maintain status quo, or is that just very cynical? <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty cynical about a lot of that stuff. Um, <laughs> um, I think that if history has shown, the people in power will use you know whatever sort of roundabouts they need to to stay in power and to right. keep the look the sheen of oh, we fixed everything or everything's fine. Um, so I think you calling out that word credible is is exactly right. It's those adjectives that people really, you can see it happening all the time legally too, where people like, you know, pulling out minutiae and saying, well, this means, you know, following the letter as opposed to the the um, meaning of mm-hmm. a certain law or a certain regulation. Um, so I feel pretty cynical about it too, I guess. Yeah. I mean, also something that really stuck out to me was the fact that everybody in the Vatican was talking about this as like the most cutting edge progressive way to handle these situations when there are all these sort of like nuances and caveats and loops that you have to jump through, like it being a credible uh, allegation, like them reporting it to the Vatican police and not local police. Mm -hmm like them uh, not needing not like needing to be removed from their positions within the church or even laicized. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were all these, like, you know, they, they are ostensibly making this large sweeping change and then they kind of cut it down with all of these checkpoints along the way. And, you know, I am definitely all about um, rehabilitation. I think, you know, these folks should be given, you know, whatever help they need as far as mental and spiritual um, reflection and therapy and rehabilitation. I'm all about that. But I, I think that they're claiming uh, more than they are actioning right now. Right. At the same time, though, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this was totally cynical on the part of Pope Francis. You know, I know there is. There's a big movement within the church now that we're seeing that uh, challenges abuse of uh, children and abuse of uh, women and nuns within the church. Um, and this is, you know, this is, uh, I, to the extent that I can speak about this community, it's a, a something that's been defined for hundreds of years uh, by, uh, you know, status quo politics, 
uh, respecting the uh, patriarchy of the church, you know. So do we think this is a sign of some sort of change, of sort of challenging it? Or is this sort of a wave that we're going to see? I think time is going to have to tell because I think uh, this pope in particular has been causing like tons of waves right. here and there. And then, of course, there's like uh, the occasional regress more, you know, oh, he is the pope. Lest, lest we forget <laughs> right. he's the right. leader of this ancient, you know, mystical order. Hoo-ha. I'm sorry. <laughs> pardon, my, like, pardon me. Um, but uh, yeah. And I think I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, yeah. The long term, what happens with all these things he's trying to implement and, you know, his, you know stances on all sorts of things and who comes in after him and whether it's reactionary or continues to be, you know, progressive. Um, it's going to be interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like it is, he has a certain position in an office that binds him to some sort of, uh, you know, personality and um, he can't, he, he, it's very difficult to step outside of that. At the same time, I just I, I feel like he has this amazing power to wield, and his lack of uh, you know him being sort of reluctant to really call things out and take ten steps at once um, is disappointing in a mm-hmm. sense because he is such a different pope from what we've seen before. I had, I mean, I grew up in the in the Episcopalian church. Mm-hmm. My dad is sort of has always been very involved in the church and like reads the pope's whatever oh, missives right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's really into him. Mm-hmm. And when when this guy was elected, I mean, he was you know, overjoyed and thought this guy was going to be kind of like whatever, the mm-hmm. redeemer of the church. Right. And um it's it's he has not in a lot of ways lived up to that um, image that yeah. was portrayed. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, this this law is coming from not from the church. Real, it's like it's coming from outside pressure from mm-hmm. all the. Um, I, I think it seems pretty clear to me that it's coming from the the legal and like the the police work and the work in happening in the United States, especially like, yeah. recently, and like all these like revelations that have been happening and the numbers and the extent of the abuse and the cover up that we've kind of known about ish for the almost 20 years right. but like as it just continues to like unfold incredibly like this is something yeah. i grew up kind of knowing about because it, it happened like you know the boston um globe mm-hmm. yeah spotlight came Re- out like spotlight. 10 years ago yeah. and we're still dealing i mean that, yeah that's the actual of... article and then the movie too yeah right. yeah. <laughs> yeah right rachel did you have thoughts on yeah this? um i i kind of concur with it everyone else is saying um I think it's important to add that, you know, just there's there's a lot of politics in the Vatican. Um, Pope Francis is technically an elected guy, you know. Mm-hmm. He was voted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was kind of appointed. I, there's there's politics there. And he, he we don't know what's going on behind those closed doors. He seems, like, very passionate about, like, we have to fix this problem. But then why aren't we taking 10 steps at once? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, I, I got to wonder if, you know, this isn't, there are, like I just said, institutionalized protections for accused abusers in the church. He could be running into, into like, interference at the at Vatican level where he is. It's like, you know, I think he, he, he is, he's, yeah, he's the Pope, but he's, he's the one guy. And it's kind of, it's, it's, he's, it, we're still talking politics here, even though it's, it's, it's faith. 
So it's hard to make those changes. You don't. We we can't make assumptions that he's not hitting roadblocks like all the way over in Rome, yeah. all the way through. Um, I would hope he is, and I and I'm so I'm glad there's outside pressures there. I think it would be helpful if there were some transparency as to what um, would define credible or yeah. what would define not credible. If it's a little easier to present to the public, you know, what would define credible? Maybe that's a little triggering. Uh, so maybe you could, what would be, what's an example of a not credible mm-hmm. um, allegation? You know, if, if um, and so like, you know, let's give, if, if the more transparency, the better. Um, so that, that I, it would be help. It would be really helpful and a little bit more credible. If, um, you know, you could kind of give, give more examples and, and give, give specifics to the people. Don't just like reeducate new priests coming in, um, new clergy. And also, yeah, laicize, defrock anyone convicted. I, I, I don't know why you're mm-hmm. convicted of abusing someone and yeah. potentially going to prison for decades. Why do you need to be in the priesthood anyway? Right. Just laicizing, just, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that That's the other, that, that sends a very powerful message also. Yeah. Those two things. I think that conversation around definitions is something that we're seeing in a lot of different realms uh, in this sort of um, vein as far as consent goes Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, the conversations are, the parallels are just so important to point out, especially on the heels of Kavanaugh being Mm -hmm. appointed, you know, as we deal with this other sort of branch of the sexual assault and sexual abuse um, issue that we're facing as a society um, I think these these ideas of definitions are are really complicated and hard to tackle. So, I mean, I, can you say a little bit more on that? Just, uh, the well, connection between the two, right? I mean, the what is a credible allegation of mm-hmm. sexual assault, whether it be abuse by a clergy member or abuse by whoever they are? Um, how do we decide who are who we're listening to, who we're believing? Who gets credence? The idea of credible also places a lot about on the person who is hearing the allegation, right? right? Like, if do I believe it's credible is kind of where that word gets placed right. when I'm hearing something, and that right. gives a lot of freedom, a lot of a lot of freedom, a lot of wiggle room, yeah, and a lot of you know when the and I, I saw the cat. I was literally just thinking of the Kavanaugh thing when you started talking about yeah. that, where it's that idea that people are like, oh, you know, I think something happened to her, but it wasn't what she's saying it is, right. and it's like it's right. like that. There's too much. It's like that. Not too much. There's like that wiggle room that almost any is too much. Um, and the conversation devolves always to you know what are we going to believe this person in the face you know and destroy this other person's reputation and life. And I think the same conversation happens with these clergy folks who ostensibly have given their lives to the community and are seen as sort of leadership figures and people who can kind of be protectors. Uh, And then for them to be, you know, slandered in this way is how it's positioned. Um, And so, yeah, it's this this definition issue, this credibility issue, who's making the claim and who is being accused and who is arbitrating over that. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's hugely difficult to manage all of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it'll be something that that will be interesting to see how the church reacts and whether we actually see more more convictions and more removal from positions of power because of this. Um, 
Meanwhile, in Algeria, uh, hundreds of thousands of protesters are filling the streets to demand the resignation of their president, uh, Abdelaziz Bouteflika. In response to protests against the ailing president running for a fifth term, uh, Bouteflika said he would not run again. Protesters believe this means he will simply stay in power without any elections, uh, and they're calling for his removal and the removal of his whole generation of politicians. Um, so this is sort of interesting. We haven't spoken about Algerian politics that much on uh, on the show, but um, it's interesting to see uh, what happens in a country like this when um, huge amounts of people are just uh, just demanding a, a more democratic uh, system. So um, I'm curious, uh, how likely do we think these protests are to affect the change that they see? I think it's... Uh it's, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert in Algerian politics. I think it's interesting though, because it's a lot of, it's a youth pro it's a lot, it's a lot of young people without a defined leader or defined, they know what they don't want. They don't want this guy in power anymore. And they don't want all of his friends and people from his generation mm -hmm. to stay in power, but they don't have an alternative plan that they're pushing for. Um, so I, I don't know what that means. Right what that's gonna how that's gonna unfold but um it's interesting yeah, yeah i mean i smell arab spring i smell 99 you know the occupy wall street movement which is both exciting and scary because um it means that there's a huge groundswell of a desire for massive change uh in a direction that i support personally uh, but I, I also know that um, these kinds of movements and uh, massive like seismic shifts in political uh, situations can leave leave vacuums that mm -hmm. a country like the U.S. has been very effective in filling um, with people who will serve their interests. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if the U.S. will uh, at some point involve themselves in this conflict in a region where they have been heavily involved and are um, and where they, uh, we, we seem to like continue to define our interests as political stability, quote unquote. Um, but with sort of ulterior motives and nefarious practices. So, right, right. Yeah. It, it can be massively destabilizing to yeah. the country and there can be a long transition period that we've seen in other situations. That's definitely true. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes these movements happen and uh, they're not successful. You know, the uh, the government and the military maintain power. Um, and I'm curious what we think will happen if uh, this movement does not affect the regime change it seeks. What will happen to the movement? What will happen to that momentum? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like okay. these movements yeah. always kind of like splinter whether or not they are successful. Yeah. I think that you'll see a lot of different smaller movements and organizations come out of this, mm -hmm. which can be a good thing. I mean, I think that, you know, while there's crisis capitalism, I think that crisis can produce uh, other things as well uh, that sometimes have really positive effects as far as bringing society together building community and sort of politicizing large swaths of populations that were previously sort of um, apolitical as, you know, as far as how they involved themselves right. in political things. So 
I think that it is always a good thing for people to be aware of the political situation and involved in how in whatever they can be involved in. Um, and I think that if nothing else, this this movement will raise awareness as to what the situation is. So. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, so uh, we're going to take another small break, and when we get back, we're going to hear uh, about a brand new ban on single-use plastics in New York, uh, New York State, and a suit on the Sacklers, uh, the, that uh, that Oxycontin clan. Um, so <laughs> stick with us. Pre with Wicked Jab, uh, continuing our Carnival Songs theme. Um, so, uh, on news on a smaller scale, New York State will officially ban use of most types of single-use plastic bags in retail sales. Uh, not every plastic bag will be banned. There are exceptions for restaurant takeout bags, meat and uh, deli and meat counter bags, bulk items uh, bags, newspaper bags, garment bags, trash bags, and 
hold your cynicism, recycling bags. Uh, so um, individual counties in New York State can also opt into a five-cent fee on paper bags. Um, you know, this is pretty interesting. It's like uh, it's legislation that's aimed at reducing like plastic waste, which most people agree is a major problem uh, in the state and in the world generally. Um, but it also raises some interesting points for smaller retailers um, and retailers who are not as established Um you know, when the uh, New York City styrofoam ban uh, came out last year, one of the topics we talked about was what does this mean for really the smaller um, vendors, uh, people who are maybe just, you know, street vendors, people who don't have a lot of money to uh, or just infrastructure in their um, uh, in their kiosks to give to people. So, um if they don't have access to plastic bags, is that going to hurt their business? And is that going to sort of force them out in favor of more established uh, vendors? Um, you know, I think that the, uh, the exception for restaurant foods is a way to sort of address this uh, in a progressive state like New York. Um, but do we think that this is going to sort of have unintended consequences for uh, smaller um, owners? It's going to be interesting to see. I think, you know, it. when I hear of a lot like this, I feel like the onus is then on me to have my reusable bag. That's how that's how it sounds to me is that I'm going to go into a grocery store and if I don't want to pay five cents for a, a brown bag, I'm just going to have to make sure I have my own stuff on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, I mean, that I think like, you know, broad picture, that's that's a good outcome that we all take on a little more personal responsibility to interesting yes <laughs> i mean like if, if that's like a yeah no if, if that does sure. happen but uh, i mean there's always a chance that some you know if i'm going to choose between this store that has a, some sort of better container for me mm-hmm. to take that costs more for them um you know if i'm between the two places to eat one has something that makes it convenient for me to take home and one does not i don't know yeah. right yeah right because like we're all super busy you don't always like have the time or mental space to bring a bag with you right, right? I mean, the other thing is also like who 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 has that time and mental mm-hmm. space to <laughs> to think about. Okay, I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna come home. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna take my bag to the to the market down the street and buy my things. Not everybody has that ability to kind of like plan ahead and have the resources where they can. You know, you don't want to be carrying five bags around yeah. all day. So who knows how people's schedules work out? But I think that this kind of law uh, puts the onus on the individual, as you're saying. And while I agree that it's really important for people to feel responsible for the environment, I worry about the the class divides that will be produced by a law like this, not just in who's in retailers, but in right. shoppers as well. Right. Yeah. The reason why yeah. I said interesting when you said individual responsibility is because we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, with just recommendations for daily, like ways we can be more green in our lives, mm-hmm. which are great. I think the intentions are great, but yeah. Um, yeah. as you guys were saying, it's, it's just not, it's not the same feasibility for every population. Right. Rachel, yeah. were you going to say something? Yeah. Um, two things. Uh, one thing that I've read about is that um, where the these plastic ban bag bans um, have been successful, um, they've only been successful where the five cent fee on the paper bags has been influ- implemented, and we've got um, an opt out option in that. So this may not 
play out as successfully as we think it could. Um, the other thing is, yeah, we need to bring up um, the fact that, you know, for the for the very poor in New York, uh, you know, it, it's who they, they might a plastic bag that you get your groceries thrown into at the deli isn't just um, that that gets used as a trash bag at home. Yeah. Um, maybe that's, I mean, I'm a dog owner. That's, that's the poop bag. I use, mm-hmm. I reuse them. Yeah. Hey, I line my bathroom, tra- my bathroom, um, garbage cans with them. I do reuse them. Um, for, but th- this now means that people have the added expense of maybe buying, um, trash bags, garbage bags for their kitchens or their home garbage mm-hmm. where they didn't before for, for very poor New Yorkers, True. you know, those, they, they, they're, they're actually using those um, plastic bags that they got when they went shopping for something else. They now have to purchase something else. Um, also, it, or they, you know, and and they now have to, you know, purchase like say a canvas tote shopping bag. Right. Um, if something can be done, can we offset the cost of, um, you know, kitchen trash bags? You know, like hmm. Glad kitchen trash bags. Can we give away tote bags, shopping right. tote bags? Right. To you know, can we? Can we go to areas where um, low income, where we know there are low income folks, and make sure they, you know, we do giveaways on certain days of the week um, or days of the month? Can we have like, you know, things like this? But that has to be addressed. I don't think people realize there are some very, very poor people in New York. We, um, and it's not just you know the smaller shop owners; it's also their customers, like mm-hmm. people. And yeah, we have to, you know, people like to point to images of the plastic bag floating in the tree and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. That's also, people need to be a bit more responsible with their stuff, you know. Right, right, for <laughs> um, sure. There, already, there are also some businesses, larger ones, that do have some incentives. If you go to Target and you bring your own bag, five cents off for every bag that you bring. So right, yeah. So we could do it the other way around. Instead of penalizing you for needing a bag, we could reward you for not needing a bag. Fair enough. We do that. All right, yeah. we're we're just about out of time for uh, <laughs> objection to the rule yeah. this week. Thanks so much, Rachel, for calling in, and thanks to everyone thanks for, for joining the show. Yeah, yeah that was um, great. We'll see you all next week, and we've got uh, someone from Just Food to tell us about uh, their organization. So uh, look forward to seeing you all next week. Yeah. 